Welcome to Restart Radio, a different show about gadgets here on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we're not going to focus on all those new shiny, shiny things for you to buy. Instead, we focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and a happier relationship with electronics. And our monthly community electronics repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Janet Gunter from the Restart Project, and I'm joined by Panda Mary, who's one of our longtime volunteers. Hello. Yeah, and we've got... um, a show today, which will touch on some of the things that you've probably been talking about with friends and family, but maybe from a different angle. So we're going to talk about um, some issues that have been brought to light about tech production, supply chains, and the sustainability of electronics in light of one big story, the virus that you've probably been talking about. And we're going to talk a little bit about two stories that you might not have heard so much about in terms of technology supply chains. Um, but before we start on uh, on supply chains, which, you know, believe me, it's a really interesting topic, okay? <laughs> um, we're going to talk about a couple of news stories which, which probably merit uh, some quick discussion. So uh, Apple, one of our favorite companies to chat about, has um, settled a class action lawsuit over what's been called Battery Gate, um, which was essentially the slowing down of iPhones via an iOS update. Um, they settled for $500 million in the U.S., which seems like a lot of money. Um, but if you think of it as only um, point, uh, say 0.04% of their net capitalization or only 0.5% of their quarterly profits, um, it doesn't seem necessarily like such a big fine. And to put it in perspective, um, Apple was fined by European regulators for Battery Gate, 10 million euros in Italy and 25 million euros in France. And so these these fines from regulators start to look like little bug splats in comparison. Um, now, for to me, it seems like a clear argument that if they want to enforce regulation, they need to or they, enforceable regulation. They need regulation that prevents things like that they don't want, as opposed to trying to punish companies for things they don't want. Um, you have a different take on it, Panda. I mean, slightly. I, I think there are, it's combined several issues, and the uh, and the, what we want is to be able to use the device for longer. And the I I find that the technology that they've implemented to slow down the device so the so the device would last a whole day uh, instead of just abruptly uh, dying in the middle of the day that is a positive thing because that means you can use your phone for longer. But the problem is that they didn't communicate it, so people thought the phone was uh, was just getting I mean getting worse and worse and not knowing why uh, yeah. things were happening, and yeah. so didn't buy a new battery to if they wanted to really regain all uh, all the battery life. Yeah. And uh, uh, and so that's, I mean, I think that's the key issue. The, the other key issue is that if they wanted to buy a replacement battery, Apple does not sell replacement parts to uh, to all and sundry. You only have to go through Apple. So the, the focus, I think, was on the wrong part. The, yeah. the, the problem is is how to ensure that the, that the device lasts longer. And for that, uh, you want uh, a good communication of technical, technical solutions so people can trust uh, what's happening and available parts. Totally agree. And those are the kind of things that need to, you know, happen, like they need to be, you know, in regulation before, as opposed to just, oh, we didn't like that or, oh, that didn't work. Um, and funny enough, we ended up, talk- we ended up talking about, um, about this battery gate with um, Ed Miliband's podcast last week, which was really quite amusing. Um, check that out if, you, if you're interested. Um, 
a second story, which you will only hear about here for sure, because it's just so not sexy, um, is while nobody, like literally nobody was watching, our friends at iFixit and an NGO in Brussels called Ecos, um, you know, basically got a, a pretty big victory, which is they had participated in years of consultation about standards on electric, electronic repairability. And these standards are pretty comprehensive, I would say. They're pretty interesting. Um, they're not necessarily for the average person to go and, you know, read. Um, I mean, the, the average person probably cannot anyway read them because they're not publicly available. This uh, is a point. So I mean, it is the, the EN4554 if you wanted to look for it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I think you you need to purchase it. I think the the, the what's interesting is that the I mean it was kind of a joint approach uh, with uh, with from the organization that you mentioned and manufacturer who were kind of lobbying from another uh, position, uh, and so they ended up first kind of uh, looking at uh, at which part of the. Uh, of the products, I mean, the, the standard should focus on, so physical parts, firmware, software, and then identified so the different dimensions of repairability uh, and the, so which properties of the product the standard should cover. Yeah, um, and I, I, I think I can't stress enough how good it is for the, for, you know, for the average ordinary person to have somebody else in those meetings that's not a high-paid industry person um, because it does it takes years and years of attending meetings and really technical um, work to come up with something that can benefit all of us and I'm sure um, well I hope in future at our repair events we may benefit from knowing more about the repairability of the products as we're trying to repair them and we can help inform people who come to our events about you know learning a little bit more about um, repairability and repairability scoring is one of the big um, one of the big policy kind of uh, proposals of the right to repair campaign in Europe as well. Yeah, I mean, an example that has been given of this standard is uh, is how feasible a repair is with kind of the best class where you don't need any tools and uh, going to not feasible at all, even with any existing tools, uh, uh, so from A to E. And so that would be that would be useful to know in advance, of yeah. course, uh, uh, when bringing a device. But it, it's on the point of the uh, of uh, the, these companies who are lobbying for a long time and because this standard secures to uh, to exist um, to come to fusion. And of course, I mean, the, the large companies have budgets for people to uh, to attend and lobby and uh, and write drafts uh, that can, of course, uh, uh, be in the direction that they want. Thing when uh, uh, NGOs uh, and smaller uh, smaller commercial organizations that are that are favor the right to repair usually have much smaller budgets. Uh, to be able to participate fully in this uh, in these negotiations. Yeah, and just credit to the people we know them personally who sat in these meetings. They're extremely dedicated and extremely knowledgeable, and they're doing a good service to everyone. Um, and the last thing we wanted to mention that came um, was news that here in the UK that um, our um, basically minister of the Ministry of the Environment, Defra has decided to slash e-waste collection targets. So we missed we missed the target by quite a big. Um, quite a big percentage last year, which probably could have been predicted. Um, and instead of, I guess, um, you know, really going going all out and committing to this target um, of, of 65%, basically, of the electronics put on the market should be eventually collected. Instead of dedicating ourselves to that, we've decided just to slash, our <clears throat> slash the collection target. 
Um, and um, analysts, I'm, I'm not an industry, I'm, I don't, we don't work in this part of the industry, the recycling part, but analysts have said, including um, Nigel Harvey, who's the CEO of a, an industry company called Ricolite, he says, this year the proposed collection targets are fundamentally different. In 2019, the targets were set particularly high to reflect the European target. This year, there's no reference to the EU target at all. And even if the proposed 2020 targets are met, the EU target will probably be missed. This appears to be to signal a decision not to be bound by EU targets as we go through the Brexit transition phase. So I suppose this is yet another signal of some bad news that we may be facing. What do you make of it, Panda? Yeah, I mean, the regaining control was uh, put into the optics of, uh, of Britain being leading the way. And that's not the reality we seem to, uh, uh, to, to be to be facing. Yeah, that's the point. Is that, well, they, they, they keep saying we're going to do better. Well, it's like, well, this seems to be proof that we're not even going to try. Um, so that's disappointing. Um, moving on, though, I think we'll, we'll, we'll let's 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 talk about um, supply chains, um, uh, the virus and technology. But I think before we start, I really want to make a disclaimer here. Um, because as we're particularly interested in technology, I think we should just consider how power humans and technology relate to each other before diving into a topic that relates to um, epidemic. So, I mean, epidemics can tend to bring out some of the scariest parts of human nature um, relating to our fear of the other, other for to our des desire for safety at all costs. Um, I mean, they can also lead to acts of heroism, obviously, but... Um, and for those who didn't read Foucault or d study semiotics or even read the notes, um, it, like it seems that the ability of the state to mobilize technology, to exercise power, and particularly over our bodies, is like a huge issue that we just we absolutely need to face. And social theorists have written so much about it, but most of the influential texts are so dense and written in inaccessible language. And I just wanted to note that if you go to simple Wikipedia you can find almost any really difficult concept on physics explained in simple language. But if you go to simple Wikipedia and you want to find something about like explaining biopower, this important, really important concept, you can't find it. And I'm really not hearing enough critical reporting on the use of technology and the power of the state and its various contractors in relation to all of this. So we're not going to go into great length about it, but some topics we should mention is you know the way that you know, far right, the far right is using the virus to push anti-immigration xenophobia online. Um, and there's just been, you know, th there's some questions around privacy and the way that um, some countries have reported on infections. Um, did you have anything to add there, Kanda? Yeah, I think that's one thing which is, uh, which is not covered that much is that many of these measures, I mean, there are some exceptional measures that are put in place, including technological measures, for instance, in China, the apps that uh, that uh, shows a green, yellow, or red uh, uh, that let you get out of home and go through all the checkpoints or not, and in a very obscure way. I mean, how uh, how it is, it is decided. Uh, but even if you consider that these exceptional measures are warranted in this uh, because of the fear of this climate of uh, uh, um, uh, that is I mean all the, all the epidemics uh, that is getting more widespread and all the deaths associated with it so it could be effectively some of these measures could be very well justified in this climate uh, but how many of these exceptional measures uh, will remain as uh, normalized 
uh, and will not be removed uh, when the uh, exceptionality has gone. Uh, history has shown us that's that's a common problem. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I suppose moving on to the heart of the matter, um, it's just important to keep that in mind that when, you know, that, that yeah, that exactly that kind of exceptional moment and the way in which technology power and bodies kind of interact. Well, um, I think um, one of the pieces that most caught our attention, and it, I was really glad that Kyle Weens, the founder and CEO of iFixit, wrote a piece um, about um, supply chain uh, breakdown and and um, you know shortages and disruption. Um, and he wrote, you know, he basically wrote about how we've lost a lot of resilience in the way the global economy is structured, and particularly the way that le electronics are, are produced. Um, and we'll we'll quote him here. He says. My company takes apart all the latest gadgets to find out what's inside, and we regularly discover components from dozens of countries. The iPhone's A12 processor, for example, is designed by Apple's teams in California and Israel using technology developed by a UK-based but Japanese-owned company and fabricated in Taiwan using equipment from the Netherlands. The more complex the, pro the product, the more susceptible it is to disruption. And in this piece, um, which is called The Right to Repair Will Help Us Endure Outbreaks, um, Kyle Ween suggests, you know, that, that, that we get much better at reusing and um, reusing components within electronics and that a lot of things probably have to change for us to do that at a structural level. Um, what do you make of it, Panda? Yeah, I think he also points out that the importance of uh, having uh, a replacement part uh, made available by the industry uh, for uh, for the repair market, and um, uh, I understand I think from that same piece that uh, that in fact part of his purchasing team for parts uh, to repair some of the devices is uh, is being stuck in Taiwan uh, because of the epidemics and uh, where I assume they that they were going to buy some parts in China. Yeah. Um, because again, I mean, large manufacturers such as Apple uh, I mean, do not sell parts to uh, to small companies like I fix it. Yeah, and we'd seen um, at least in in monitoring you know communications from UK based um, uh, parts companies that they've been tracking this probably earlier than most people. So you know we'd heard a lot about the virus um, and more kind of out of a humanitarian concern for what was happening in Wuhan, I think, and you know in January and February. But but quite early on, we heard you know um, companies that we tend to recommend people source parts you know, basically cautioning people and saying, well, we're really, we're starting to, we're monitoring this and we're starting to to run low. And so that, that affects resilience because what, I mean, the large manufacturers are affected because the factories uh, have to, some of the factories have to close down uh, because of the epidemics. Mm -hmm. and, and so production uh, uh, is reduced. So some of the models are not available. New models are not announced. Uh, it's postponed. And so if you've got a device that breaks, uh, you want to be able to repair it. And if it's if it requires schematics that are not available, if it requires a know-how that's not available or parts that are not available, then that's, uh, that affects what you can do with, with, with your own device. And if you can't replace them, can't fix them, uh, that's, uh, uh, that might affect uh, uh, your life in quite negative ways. So you want to, be, to want to increase resilience, which does mean having a good repair economy. 
Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it, what was striking to me is um, we can see how big the carbon footprint of, of manufacture is also by the data that's coming out about the lower emissions. So this was really quite amazing to me. I mean, obviously, there are other sources of emissions which are, you know, which are kind of um, lowered by, by the kind of stay at home orders. But you can imagine that industry is largely responsible for a lot of these um, lowering of emissions. There, there. Um, the New York Times reported that um, uh, that there was a 25 percent decrease in emissions over the same period. Um, I believe in January, February, um, which really has, to, you know, it really shows that, you know, that that when when we stop um, or when we stop being able to buy stuff, there's a, there's that knock-on effect, um, and and it has it, well that the stuff that we have has such a has such a footprint. Another thing that was raised by a couple of commentators was. Um, the kind of complacency around even just raw materials um, that um, the factories were also struggling to get raw materials um, so it wasn't just assembly or manufacture that that the thing goes all the way down the uh, supply chain I mean I, I don't I mean I think that many people don't realize how complex the supply chain is for any electronics device uh, I mean there tends to be hundreds if not thousands of companies and uh, and I mean it goes you know from you think of the processor possibly and some kind of big uh, elements like that, but you've got several uh, uh, elements that goes into processors, uh, and then it goes all down to the screws even and things like that. So you need everything to come together at the end to make the product that you have in your hand, and con and not not even including the transportation because yeah, exactly. all things are in different places. So yeah. if you've got and and as all these companies tend to use. Um, technology to have things just in time just in place uh, if you have something that breaks somewhere in the world in that in that supply chain then you read there's a knock-on effect that affects everything down the road yeah it's something we don't even think <laughs> of we think of delivery drivers bringing us things because those are the ones that we see we don't think of all the delivery drivers that exist throughout the supply chain and all of those various trips um, well, we've seen that um, techs, big tech stocks are falling also in relation to this and, and uh, sales. And it's not just the driver, but you also have the, the, the know-how. I mean, you get engineers that need to move from different places and uh, from companies to factories and so on. And if, uh, if there's no flights and restriction on travels, yeah. uh, then uh, that can affect as well the production, even if you've got all the elements you need to produce it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we can do this topic justice right now. Um, Holly, would you like to make a, um, a, a live announcement to take a quick break? Yes. Yeah, so tomorrow is our last day that we're running the petition for our EU right to repair cell phone, smartphones even campaign. So um, the European right to repair campaign co-founded by Restart and Partners in Belgium and Germany launched a petition last month. Uh, to ask the European Union to require smartphone manufacturers to give us the right to repair our phones. Um, and we think this is important because smartphones are pretty much unavoidable in our everyday lives and they generate billions in profit for big manufacturers to produce them, which means that most reg regulatory efforts in the area have stalled to get them repairable. Um, so if Europe adopts right to repair legislation, it will inspire other regions of the world to follow. So it's crucial to make this happen. Um, and that's why it's important for you to sign it even in the UK. So you can sign the petition at um, repair.eu slash smartphones. And uh, yeah, I think we're doing pretty well on signatures, but it'd be good to have a final push. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and we're expecting a big announcement from Brussels tomorrow on that one. 
Um, so to move on to the other topics related to the supply chain, which, you know, I it's funny because once you start thinking about the power of the virus to kind of capture our, everyone's attention, I mean, we started the show with it, you realize that actually so many other important news is getting ignored. And so one of the big stories that I just couldn't believe there was not enough um, attention to was a report by an Australian um, think tank a very mainstream Australian think tank, the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, that basically showed that um, Uyghur forced labor has made its way into many electronics companies' supply chains, but not only, um, also in clothing companies. Now, this is not forced labor um, in Xinjiang or the areas where Uyghur people tend to live. Um, this is actually Uyghur people being f uh, forcefully moved to other areas of production in China. Um, and um, the report uh, accuses that they are also um, that they have separate um, uh, living facilities that they are they're under potentially potentially more surveillance than other workers at these facilities, um, and this implicates Apple, Samsung, Sony, Huawei. Um, it's a it's a HP, leading Dell, Sony, yeah, Lenovo. all of them. Yeah. So it's basically one of the leading companies that makes cameras and displays for for electronics. And I just, I, I read this report, was absolutely, you know, I was really shocked. I thought, I mean, it takes a lot to shock me, actually. But, I, and I, but what shocked me even more was the lack of, of media coverage of this, of response to this. I mean, I, I wasn't aware of it until you, you mentioned it to me and then found this report, which is absolutely shocking, yes. Um, I, I mean, I honestly don't know what to say. Like we've we've looked at, you know, there's been a lot of attention to, you know, labor and the supply chain of electronics, specifically, you know, Foxconn, one of Apple's big uh, contractors, and 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 in some of the issues there have been um, internships, these kind of coercive internships where students are basically forced to work um, over a certain period of time, and it's almost like their degree is kind of held in limbo until they finish uh, finish work at a factory. And that, in and of itself, is a problem. But we were talking earlier on about the complexity of supply chain, mm -hmm. and I think it's that's another aspect of the complexity. Is that my understanding is that it's uh, I think some uh, some local government in Xinjiang who are contracting with the uh, companies to rent uh, people uh, Uyghurs yeah. uh, uh, for this uh, for these different factories, and so I mean who is I mean uh, and they. And some of them are isolated and, uh, and in in stricter working condition where they they worked more than ten hours a day because that includes the the reeducation to be more Chinese as well, and so the political uh, uh, education, uh, and so that is not. I mean, uh, this com the contract between the the people supplying uh, uh, these resources, human resources. Uh, are not with the uh, manufacturers like Apple, uh, Acer, Lenovo, and so on. Uh, they're with companies further down the line. So how to increase the transparency throughout the supply chain uh, so these kind of things don't happen anymore is... Uh, it just seems to me that... I mean, I feel like we've been talking about this stuff since the 90s. I just feel like these companies, uh, you know, they can, they can cry that it's so difficult, it's so difficult. You know, they're making huge amount of money off of these products. And, um, you know, I, I just I, I can't believe that they can't audit the supply chains better. I just I. And our focus is on technology, but the same thing happened in textile as well. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so please, if you're at all concerned, look this up. It's really shocking. And um, I honestly don't know how to take action other than, you know, than, um, you know, bring it up with the companies that you buy from. Um, one of the other things that um, that I think we might want to quickly discuss is um, is chemicals. So um, it may not come as a surprise to some listeners, but um, the chemical lobby and chemical manufacturers are, are in, and producers are some of the biggest and most well-funded lobbyists in the world, um, definitely in Brussels. Um, but one thing caught my attention recently about chemicals in the supply chain was this um, investigative piece um, uh, written by Reveal News, um, where where basically um, uh, e- the EPA uncovered um, the the damage that um, a particular chemical was making, and essentially the White House just suppressed it, rewrote it, um, got rid of it. Um, the, the solvent in question, um, I believe, is mostly used for cleaning. It's called trichloroethylene (TCE). Um, and obviously, I don't think we have anything as horrendous happening yet in the UK or in Europe um, in terms of, you know, such a cynical uh, attempt against, you know, public health. But I, I definitely think that um, this is one we need to watch, especially in kind of the, the, the era we're in now. And again, to go back to supply chain, is that you have to consider uh, people that are working directly for the company, people that are working for a direct contractor, and people who are working in factories abroad. I mean, if we take the example of uh, Samsung, uh, which last year, for instance, settled quite a few, uh, I think, uh, industrial accidents uh, where people t- got leukemia or burn tumor, uh, and it took, I think, 15 years for people and, and many attempts to get some settlement. Yeah, that was a uh, different cleaning. That was called uh, benzene, a different chemical, but yes. Yeah, but that, that, was for pe- that was for people who were yeah. directly employed by Samsung. Mm-hmm. Then there is people that are employed by contractors where I don't think uh, got settlements. So mm-hmm. far, and then uh, there was a report also last year that the the condition at factories outside for Samsung outside of Korea, for instance, in Vietnam, where 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 Samsung is trying to push some production that they can't have in Korea right now because of some of the factories are, are being closed mm. because of the epidemics uh, is uh, are worse than well, in, their, yeah. uh, the, in their own company in their own country sorry so and this is an issue for that we need to face in the UK because if we're going to do this hard Brexit or this extreme Brexit or whatever they're proposing um, we may not have access to some of the key European databases on chemicals on um, their yeah the chemicals their impacts on users on workers on and this is you know this is something that i just don't think that how could how could one country ever keep up as well as a block of 28 countries and it, it, it we we stand to lose really important information related to public health and also the fact that uh, i mean there's there's little manufacturing in the uk itself for for electronics and and the the this offshoring of the manufacturing shouldn't uh, absolve the UK the UK industry of any responsibility of what's happening outside when the products are being used in the UK at the end. Sure, absolutely. Well, I hope we've um, awakened some interest in supply chains. It is, it is absolutely an important topic that we should be following really closely. Um, if you'd like help with anything fixing related with a plug or with a battery, you can find us in our community events at our website, therestartproject.org. Or you can find us on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, thanks to OptoNoise and Cassini Sound for our music, which is made with uh, lasers, uh, plastic spinning discs, and discard electronics. Um, and uh, we're here live every second Tuesday of the month at 5 p.m. So until 
Until next time.